I've got a couple other things that I'll mention as well. And to what, in, in addition to uh, what Lisa mentioned, I took on a couple things myself. We've got men's breakfast this coming Saturday. So, fellas, would love for you to join us at the Golden Trough. Um, Golden Corral, sorry. Golden Corral on, uh, on Gaskins, uh, Broad and Gaskins right over there. We'd love for you to uh, come and hang out with us. And also we've got men's retreat coming up May 19th and 20th. And so some of you have told me, hey, I'm interested. I would love to go. I want to I be there. Go ahead and sign up for that at velocitychurch.info. Let us know you're going to be there because I know I've talked to a couple different people about carpooling or maybe even renting a van because I think we might have be close to enough guys to be able to do that. So we'd love for you to, uh, to let us know that you want to come, come to that. It's going to be an amazing time. Uh, we'd love for you to be there. Uh, it, is, it is almost May. I mean, we've got one last day in April. And, and about this time of year is when, well, of course, some of you have had this plan because you're planners like since January. But I start to think about vacation, summer vacation. The kids are going to be out of school. What are they going to do? I don't know. I wish I got the summer off too. Like I miss, I miss those times. The last time we, we've had, our family's had some, you know, we've done some great vacations, that kind of stuff. We spent a good chunk of our years, I don't know how many of you can, can relate to this, but we used all our vacation time just to go see family. Have anybody, can, can you appreciate that time? Um, I'm not saying that wasn't a good thing for us, but it would have been so much better if we had just taken at least one week out of the year and spent time on vacation for, for us. Like, I'll I, I just never forget when we finally, finally did that. But about 19 years ago, almost 19 years ago, was the most relaxing vacation I've ever had. It was just, just me and Renee, and we were at an all-inclusive resort. It was for a honeymoon. Uh, and and it, was, it was amazing. I don't know why that got so much laughter. Um, anyway, it was an all-inclusive resort, which just means everything's included. All right, so uh, you, you're, you're there, you've got activities and stuff within the resort, but food, I mean, you just go up, get a burger, drink, whatever you need, you just go get it at, at that moment. So you never have to think about anything. You didn't have to plan ahead or any of that kind of stuff. You just were able to go and do what you wanted to do. And I love that. It was like being in a really exclusive club for the entire week. And it is good to be in the club. You know, if you've ever been in that type of situation where you, you know what it feels like. And it feels really, it, does, it just doesn't feel as good when you aren't, when you're an outsider. Several weeks ago, we went to our alma mater. We had some stuff that, that I was doing for the college that, um, the college that Renee and I, I graduated from. And we were on campus and it just feels, it felt weird, especially for me. Because as a student, I worked for the school, I did some coaching, and I had a key that can unlock every door in one whole half of the campus. And I promise you, I didn't do anything. Wait, no, I can't promise you that. Um, <laughs> nobody knows about anything, I don't think, that, that I did with that key. But man, it felt good. I mean, it just felt powerful to have that key. And now when I go back, I don't have that key anymore. Uh, because I chose not to keep it. I actually kept it for several years uh, later. Maybe I shouldn't be sharing this, but that's all right. Um, and, and it just, I, I don't have the same insider connections anymore. It just feel, it feels, it feels different. Um, and I, look, I'm just generally the kind of guy, and some of you can relate to this. Some of you are, are like amazing extroverts. So you go in some, uh, some place, you don't know anybody, you don't know the situation, you're not an insider, it doesn't matter for you. You're like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to enjoy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet new people, make new friends. Like you get in on the inside. I'm just kind of, I'm the kind of guy who just kind of hangs back and just kind of observes, sees what happens. Um, and, uh, but it feels really good when somebody comes up to you and like brings you in 
and, and welcomes you and include, includes you in. Now, some of you may, maybe can't relate to those two examples, but there's two things that we've all been through to some degree or some level where we have experienced this type of dynamic. There's two important rites of passage that we've all experienced to some degree where we know what it feels like to be on the inside or be, be, be stuck on the outside. Uh, the first is the playground. Like, whether it's school or you're going to the park or something like that, you, you know how the playground can, can go. Like everybody's hanging out, everybody's best friends. It's weird, I don't, know, I don't know how that works, but you just start hanging out and you're playing and then all of a sudden a kid is throwing rocks in people's faces. You don't know how it happened, it just, that's, that's what happened. Or you're out there at school, you're playing a game, everybody's made something up, and there's rules, and you're like, oh, this is fun, this is incredible, we're best friends, I'm winning the game, this is great. And then all it takes is one kid, I don't know who gives the kid the authority or power to make this decision, but they just change the rules in the middle of the game. And then all of a sudden, you're not winning anymore, and you're not just losing, you're not even playing anymore. Like, and everybody hates you, and they want you gone, and, and that kind of thing, all right? So, so we've kind of experienced that. The other is uh, when you go out, for the school team. And when, when I say school team, I'm not saying everybody's gone out for a, a sports team at, at school, but I'm talking about like any kind of extracurricular activity that you've ever, if you've ever gone and done any kind of extracurricular activity, you know what it feels like to, to maybe, you know, be on the inside or be, uh, be on the outside. Um, it's great when you have developmental stuff, you know, when kids are young and you're trying to teach them a love for the sport or kind of get them engaged, but there comes a certain point in your age where you just kind of realize that maybe, maybe you don't have what it takes to be on the kickball team. And listen, I know this, this, might, be, this might be tough to hear, and I, and I, and I, and I get that. We might have some memory. We can talk about that in the lobby. And we, I, I never wanted to be the kickball captain because I could remember the look on kids' faces. When they, when they were picked last. And they're like, oh, so, so dejected, that kind of thing. And, we, and maybe, maybe we know what it feels like to go out for the school team and be like, oh, I'm just not, I'm not at the level to be able to play anymore. It feels good when you get picked for the team. It doesn't feel great when you aren't picked for the team. I've been on both sides of that. I've also coached enough to know that you've got to make some tough decisions on who's going to be involved in what and how much. And it can, be, it can be tough on people. I've had to cut people from the team. I'll never forget this one girl cut from the college volleyball team, and she was so ticked. She was so mad at me. Um, and uh, what was really funny about that is during tryouts, she didn't listen to anything I said. She argued about everything. So, so it just seemed like she was not interested at all in being on the, on the team or anything like that. So I just let her have what she wanted is, is what I thought would happen. But she, she, even though she had no interest in whatsoever doing anything that we were doing, she still didn't enjoy the fact that she was not included on the team. Being on the outside can be a really isolating experience. Some of the kids I coach now at, at a younger age, I, I end up you know, coaching middle school basketball and for the team, we don't, we don't have any cuts because it's a small school. We don't have a huge pool of players. And so anybody who comes out is wanting to play. But I'll just tell you, just between you and me, some of those kids, um, they would not make the team if they were at a bigger school. I'll just tell you, just between us, you don't have to share it with them. Um, but sometimes what's been really interesting, if you give me a kid who's willing to try their hardest, willing to put some time and effort into, they're coachable, they're teachable, and it could be amazing what they have the potential for. There are a couple kids on the team that my whole goal for them was just to score one bucket for the entire season. That was, that, that was it. Uh, some of the times that I... Uh, the, the, kid, the kid that I was proudest of on, on our basketball team is my son. 
Because duh, nepotism. <clears throat> We're all thinking it, right? No, honestly, he's, he's, ama- he's amazing. Uh, he, he's amazing and all, all the credit where credit is due. But some of the times I cheered outwardly the most, because you got to play it cool when your kid's on the team. At least I think, I think you do, because you don't want to show favoritism, that kind of thing. So I played it cool when he was doing really well. But some of the biggest times that I cheered outwardly was when those kids that I had, their only goal was to get them one bucket for, out of the entire season, is when they fi- both of them finally did score. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, I know everybody else in the gym was thinking the same thing I was, because the whole gym erupted for them getting their first and only basket of the season. Uh, Everybody was excited. They were stoked. Everybody was cheering. It was amazing. The joy that everybody, the look on their face when they scored, because they knew. I mean, nobody needs to tell them. Like, they they get it. They they understand, and that's internalized in for them. But when they finally scored a bucket, the joy on their face and how they were celebrating and how I had to yell to them to get back on defense. Like, it's great. You got a bucket, but you got to, you got to keep moving back. Um, it was amazing. Everybody celebrating was, was amazing. And the reason I say all this and, and the reason I set this up is because I think, you know, being on the inside, being on the outside, being in the club, not being in the club, how we uh, work with people and develop their, their potential and, and the work that people are willing to put in and, and just the times that sometimes we can be astonished and amazed at what people are able to accomplish when we're willing to put some time and effort into them where otherwise somebody else might not and celebrate in those moments. To me, it's, it's, it's an example of how Jesus describes what happens in heaven when, when he draws us in and includes us within the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus describes this in, in a couple different ways in Luke chapter 15, where he talks about how um, the entirety of heaven rejoices when a sinner repents and when they are welcomed in. And Jesus was constantly berated by the religious elite, the people that he was trying to, um, trying to convince that God was approaching life in a completely different way than they had set up for people. They continually complained that he was eating with sinners, that he was spending time with these people that didn't deserve his time as a, as a teacher of, of God's word. And yet he kept time and time again showing them examples of how wrong they were and how wrong-headed and wrong thinking, the wrong thinking they had about God in those moments. One of the things that makes Jesus jump off the pages of the Bible is that he has obvious knowledge, wisdom, and insight uh, as to whether or not somebody could be in or out when it came to a relationship with God. And it's because Jesus innately understands the condition of our hearts because he created us with God and because his life and ministry and ongoing living sacrifice are so that we can all be included in relationship with God, even and especially those who are on the outside looking in. There's so many different examples of this in scripture, but the one that we're going to be looking at today is in Luke chapter 7, starting in the first verse. We've actually been in Luke chapter 7 a couple different times during the sermon series because Luke has this habit of including people and interactions that Jesus has with people that other people wouldn't typically include. And I think it's because Luke kind of knows what it means to be on the outside looking in. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke about, you know, narrative biography about Jesus' life. He also wrote the book of Acts. And Luke was the guy who was not necessarily there. He was not an eyewitness to all of Jesus' ministry, but he went and he interviewed people about that. And he said, tell me, tell me about these things that happened. Like, I want, a, I want a good orderly record. And Luke was a physician who was a Gentile. Most likely, as far as we can tell about who he was and how Paul describes him in Colossians, Luke knew what it was like to be on the outside looking in. 
and then to be welcomed in and included. And so he tends to, throughout his gospel, bring up stories of people who were on the outside that Jesus brought, brought in. All right, so we're going to be looking, look, <clears throat> Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, starting verse 1. And when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, uh, Luke chapter 6 has a great collection of Jesus' sayings. Um, so make sure you read that at some point on your own. When Jesus had finished saying all these things to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. This is not the first time that Jesus has been to Capernaum. He's interacted with other people. He's been to Capernaum itself. He's been, interacted with other people, and he's performed miracles uh, with, with those people. In fact, there was one man that he met in Cana, who is a royal official from Capernaum, who said, hey, I need you to come the 13, 20 miles with me back home so you can come heal my son. And, and Jesus says, well, I, I really don't have to go anywhere. I can just speak the word, and it'll happen. And the guy's like, okay. And yet he goes, he goes back home, and, and this has happened. All right, so Jesus has been here. He served in, in this place, and it's very likely in a town of about 1,500 people at this, at this point in history um, that word had spread about these types of interaction with Jesus. And so this centurion, uh, a leader of 100, enlist, 100 men who is an enlisted man who is part of the backbone of the Roman military, who was there as an occupying force, keep in mind was hated by the Jewish people. I mean, just, just in general, I'm not talking about this specific guy, because it sounds like maybe there's something different going on in his life. But you've you got to appreciate the fact that if you lived in a place where this was supposed to be your home, but you had a, a, an occupying force that had come in, defeated you, put you under a completely different uh, set of government that also didn't just impact you politically and economically, but religiously as well, because there was no separation of those ideas. That's a very recent idea in the course of human history. Um, all of those things were connected and intertwined together. So this was not a pleasant thing. This was not, you know, like the local police chief, you know, kind of thing. I mean, this was, this was a, a military force that was there to keep everybody in line. And so this, this guy is apparently desperate for his servant whose life he cared about to be healed, which kind of gives a really interesting insight to a person who is committed to, to war and who is committed to keeping every, everybody in line. So already we're, we're starting to maybe be able to peel back a layer in this person's life and see that they might not be exactly what we think we are just by judging the book from, from this cover. And so he sends people to, uh, to reach out to Jesus, hoping that what had happened to others could happen to him. And it's really interesting that the people that he sends are Jewish leaders. Because, again, this is an occupying force. Nobody, nobody appreciates this. They don't want him to be there. And so, still, he sends this group of Jewish elders, leaders, to come advocate for him to receive a miracle from Jesus. And even they acknowledge that this is strange by how they explain their presence there. This is Luke chapter 7, verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so Jesus went with them. When they refer, uh, Capernaum still has a site of the synagogue today. I, I think I've got a picture of that here. Um, so this, this is the site of the synagogue where it has been built on top of the one that this centurion had built. Okay? So this is not the one that he built. This is at the site. And on top, and you can see some of the basalt foundation stones if, if you saw a different angle and picture of the synagogue. Um, and so they explain 
that here's why they're here on this guy's behalf. He loves the Jewish nation. Why? Probably a couple of reasons. One is self-preservation. He needs to keep the peace. His Roman citizenship is probably on the line as to whether or not he, he does a good job. But there might be something a little bit deeper at stake here, or a reason as well, because for him to build their synagogue, this would have come at a great, significant personal cost for this guy. And so it seems like there's something deeper going on. And as you look in, in human history and how people interacted with people who were not Jewish would interact with the Jewish nation, there were people who were, became God-fearers, that they became followers of God, they, they worshipped the God of Israel because they saw him, they saw God, and they saw the difference between their gods and, and the rituals that they participated in and recognized the superiority of God in those moments. Now, full conversion for the centurion probably seemed impossible at the time. Um, for the, f- the first reason, uh, just, just to throw this out there, uh, to, to convert you had to become circumcised uh, for an adult male. Um, <clears throat> this would have been a difficult decision to make. Let me, just, let me just put that out there. Not a whole lot of chuckles at that one. Uh, you had to follow the Sabbath laws. Uh, you'd have to follow the kosher laws. Let, let's just be honest. If you have had bacon before, and somebody told you you had to give that up, would you? Would you? I, I don't, you, you really have to wrestle with this. Is this the Son of God? Is it, you know, is, is really? Um, let, and it makes believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, live a faithful life. Like, that sounds like a walk, walk in the park, right? So we're thankful a, a little bit. And yet, this man is probably closer than what anyone would expect to being a follower of God. In verse 6, continuing... Jesus was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him. So the, the Jewish elders have gone. They're bringing Jesus to him. And the centurion finds out that he's coming, and he sends some extra friends out. And he says, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Again, probably a couple things going on here. Centurion, maybe, maybe he's just being thoughtful, you know, because he knows that a Jewish leader, especially that Jesus is, who has people following him, coming into a Gentile's house, that would be kind of a no-no. You know, you don't associate yourself with those type of people. But again, there's probably something deeper going on here as well and more meaningful. He knows that he doesn't deserve Jesus' presence, and not just because of the, the, the racial, ethnic divide, political, spiritual divide. He knows that he doesn't deserve Jesus' presence, and yet he also recognizes that Jesus has the power and authority to speak and that what he says goes. And so there's something even deeper and more meaningful that this man, this centurion, who's an outsider looking in, is recognizing about who Jesus is. And here's Jesus' response. When Jesus hears this in verse 9, he was amazed at the centurion, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. There are two times that Scripture mentions for us in the, in, the, in, in the Gospels that Jesus is amazed. This is one of them. Jesus hears this centurion. He says, Jesus, I recognize your power and authority. All you have to, what you say goes. All you have to do is speak the word. You don't, have to, you don't have to be here physically to do anything else. I recognize your power and authority. And Jesus is amazed by it. The second time that Jesus is amazed um, 
Jesus is in his hometown, and people are basically asking him to leave despite the miracles, despite his, his teaching, because of their unbelief. So these are, these are the two times that Jesus... So the people who were on the inside, right, his people, his neighbors, his hometown, they were the ones that amazed him because of their amount of unbelief. And here's the centurion who's on the outside. He amazes Jesus because of his belief. The centurion says, I believe you just saying the word is enough. I think that amazes Jesus so much because as much as we would maybe like to think that in our lives Jesus' word is enough for us, we probably don't live it as well as we think it. Uh, there are probably times in our life where we, we don't quite trust as much as we think we do with the way that we think about how things are going on, our circumstances, how we're de dealing with those things, uh, what we're looking for God to do or accomplish as kind of maybe, maybe a, a litmus test, you know, to prove that God is faithful to, to us, and probably in the way that we treat other people. And when Jesus says things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you know, how, how well do we actually put those things into practice? Because that's the intersection of Jesus becoming more than just words on a paper and a concept and idea to us practically living out and, and having the character and nature of our person like changed and transformed by who Jesus is and how he interacts with people and how he treats them. Faith is at its best when we take Jesus at his word, trusting the outcome to him. And this is a very different approach to giving God little tests and having, having little things where we say, well, God, if you know, I really need you to do this, and if you do this, then I'll do this. And, and we kind of get a, get a tit for tat going, going on. God always follows through with what he says he will do. And faith in God as a result can be developed in a myriad, through a myriad of circumstances. But one of the th unfortunate things historically in human behavior is we tend to forget, have very short-term memories in, in situations where our faith has been developed through a different circumstance than someone else. And sometimes we don't extend the same type of opportunity to different people in our life. And sometimes once we're in the club, we tend to look down on those who aren't. It's, it's very possible that sometime, at some point, maybe even this morning, you've walked into church, into a church, and felt like an outsider just because of how you've experienced things in the past or just because it's human nature and behavior for us to feel like those things and experience those things. And I can let you know, um, not everyone has it together in this place and in this room. Uh, there's no perfect people allowed for a reason because there are no perfect people. And so you're in really good company. And even followers of Jesus need the reminder that Jesus wants to include outsiders as well. One of the really poignant examples of this is in Acts chapter 10. This is with Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples and friends. He was part of the 12, but he was also part of the inner three as well. And Peter is here in Acts chapter 10, and, and there's a man, actually, his name is Cornelius. He happened to be a centurion as well, and this happens later as the church is being established. And Cornelius is praying to God, and God is going to send Peter, but Peter doesn't want to go. And so Peter, uh, Peter ends up having, having a vision, has a, has a dream, and, and God says, don't call, um, don't call what I have called clean to be unclean. All right, that's a short version of it. You can read it later. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter comes to Cornelius eventually, and he says to Cornelius and the people in his household, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. 
And after interaction with Cornelius and seeing how God is moving in his life, Peter says later in verses 34 through 35, Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In our context, we're not, we're not just talking about from every nation, but sometimes we're talking about in how we think about and how we treat our neighbor or a coworker, and especially, especially our enemy, whether personal, political, religious, economic, how, however we want to think about those things and be willing to admit those things. Overcoming our prejudice is not easy, but God accepts everyone who fears him and does what's right. And who are we to deny someone the opportunity by rejecting them before they had the opportunity to accept Jesus. And this is Jesus, this is part of Jesus' amazement and, and part of the reminder that Peter is given as an apostle of, of, of Jesus in Acts chapter 10. Listen, we all have inherent biases, based, and we need to be willing to admit that, right? Based on our preferences and life experiences, and a follower of Jesus, we even accept and, and come into in a relationship with him, we accept certain standards and expectations that God sets for life with him. However, we have to be really careful that it's not our prejudice that guides how we view others, but the potential in others to reflect God's image in their life. There's this really popular children's author. I was listening to a podcast um, because of some of the controversy uh, surrounding them that had, um, is J.K. Rowling. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and say who it is. I don't care however you feel about Harry Potter books and if, if you think it's great or if you think it's terrible and, and you don't like, I, uh, that, that's not, not, not the point. At other, our, our family loves it, so it's, it's fantastic. But um, So she went in, this early stages of the internet, she was, I think she had written three books or some, something like that. So just, just because she wanted to connect with her fans, she joined and, and got anonymously into an internet uh, chat group about that. So it's, you know, what, whatever it was, a bunch of Harry Potter fans. Look, I don't go that far, but, you know, fan, fan group, whatever. So she, and, her, and she just asked this really innocuous, interesting question, you know, just that she thought was just kind of a basic understanding about Harry Potter. She was bullied out of the group. And, and she, what was really interesting, I mean, you're talking about internet troll. You know how people can be on social media. You've seen it, seen it there, you know, on, on, you never read the comments, right? You're not supposed to do that. But just how people interact with her, told her she was an idiot, that she didn't have a clue what she was talking about, that anybody with a brain would never come to this conclusion or think this about the books. or This, this is the author, right? If anybody, you would think, if anybody knows, it, it, maybe it would be her. Um, and she talked about, here, here's the more interesting thing, though. One, if you've ever read the books, you know that one of the major themes of the entire story is, is bullying <laughs> and, and how Harry is, is treated and how wrong that is and how we should treat people and all those kinds of things. And what happened to the author of the story with all these people who loved her work? She got bullied out. And, and, and the reason I bring this up is because, unfortunately, sometimes that's how we act. I mean, there, there's a, a certain reputation sometimes that the church carries with it, that Christians carry with it, because sometimes once we're in, we, uh, I don't know, we're just not very friendly about others that, that should be invited in too, and that should be welcomed in too. Because we tend to, the way we ha- tend to handle, you know, matters of things like inclusion, because that's what we're, that's what we're talking about, how Jesus includes other people, um, we just, we just kind of miss the point. There's a very distinct difference, because I know that's a hot, 
that's a hot button issue, right? I say that word and everybody's got, mm, I know exactly how I feel about this. Like, let's go. Um, and let me, let me just tell you, and, and I recognize that what I'm about to say could be extremely challenging for you. It's challenging for me. Um, and there's a reason we're called into relationship and community with each other. And so we can, we can talk about this and we can deal with this stuff. This kind of stuff matters to how we portray and live out and reflect Jesus in our life. There's a distinct difference between the church and the world. And, and what, what we can do about this is make sure that we're not operating like the world does. So a lot of times we get into these kinds of things, we, instead of actually thinking about what we should actually be doing about it, you know, we'll virtue posture. And that's really easy to see in other people, right? Oh, I can think of some people. I can think of some groups of people that do this all the time, right? That's very easy. Um, listen, differences are difficult and hard to communicate across the divide. And it's even more difficult when the only thing that's ever highlighted are differences. But this is not about everybody conforming to everybody else. That, that's not what we're called into. Um, this only happens, we, we welcome people, we invite people in, we don't exclude others when we come together, together under something bigger than all of us. And that's the most distinct difference between the church and the world in this, in this issue and how Jesus approaches it. The people are in because because they're recognizing the authority of their creator and their savior. The church's approach is to highlight and praise the one who is above all, not the things that we think are different about each other or the things that we think should be the same. So let, let me give you, let me give you a, a, a category here in how we think about this. Good, come together because of differences. Listen, Maybe this is challenging. This is actually a good thing. It's, it's okay and healthy and right and good for us to recognize that sometimes we have some differences. Sometimes my life experience, the way that I've been raised, is different from you. Sometimes they're cultural. Sometimes they're familial. Sometimes they're economic. Sometimes they're political. Like, like we can honor and respect one another based on those things. Right? So that's, that's a good and healthy thing. The problem is, is that if that's our only focus, this becomes really regressive and how we think and treat other people, because that's the only thing that we see, all right? The second thing is better. Come together because of what we have in common. This is, man, this is even better. We recognize that we are all created in God's image, and how, how amazing that is. We're all human beings, you know, and, and talk about those things. We all have needs. We all have particular wants. We all have ways in which we, we're supposed to be in community with each other, to work with each other, and life is better when, that, when that's the case. The problem with this one is we don't do this so well. We're just not that great because we're, um, we're not wise enough. Uh, we don't have enough self-control. We're, we're just not pure of heart enough. And that's why what's best is that we're called to come together because of who God is. Because we've got to recognize there's, there's a greater authority over us. There's a greater authority over our personal experiences. There's a greater authority over, um, over the circumstances that we find ourselves in. There's a greater authority over our opinions and how we prefer things, things to be. There's a greater authority over that, and that's God. And he's the one who directs those things. And he's the one who we should be looking to when it comes to us considering who can be in and who can be at, who can be and who's out. All people are valued because God is great and God is worthy of praise from all and because we're created in his image. 
And Jesus includes us by inviting us to be with the one who created us to be like him. I think, I think there are probably some, some people and some people groups that we have in our hearts and our minds that we think of as the pagans of society, right? The people who are just definitely, oh, they're definitely out. You know, you're just very obvious. You can just look and tell, right? I mean, just externally, like there, there's the, and you know, it's all the things that, that people come up with that uh, some, some I get, some are, are dumb, you know, and, and, and that's, that's my opinion. I can, I can say those things. We, we can look. And, and just kind of recognize that, oh, this, this person is just obviously, that, you know, I, I can just tell that, 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 they're not, that they're not in. Maybe, though, um, maybe we've missed the opportunity to be astonished and amazed by some people that, that we've interacted in our life. Because we lo- we've looked at the externals and we've looked at the differences. And, and maybe we don't think we share enough, enough in common. And yet the way that God sees that person and says, hey, this is somebody I've created. This is somebody that I've imbued with, with my image. And this is somebody that Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again, and became a living sacrifice for. And there might be somebody in our life right now that we've kind of subconsciously or consciously ruled out that is ready to trust in the authority of Jesus and take him at his word. And maybe we've written them off, and yet God is ready to write them right in. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10, I think this is a really important reminder. John is looking, and he's looking at the kingdom of heaven. He's looking at things, everything being made right in the end. And as, Jesus, as John looks out, there before him was a great multitude. This is Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. There's a great multitude that no one could count from every tri- nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Everybody come together under, under God. When we're faithful and we extend the grace entrusted to us to others, we can trust that God's going to take care of the outcome. He's going to deal with that part. It's astonishing enough that God would allow us as sinners to be included in his grace, and we might just be amazed at who else he's ready to welcome in by an invitation and a welcome that is extended through us. And the way that Jesus transforms our life. Um, as we take communion together this morning, as we do every week, I'll just remind you last week about how we're invited to a common table to share together. And it's very likely, in fact, I know for a fact that there are people in your life that God wants you to invite and welcome in. I'm not just, talk, I'm not just talking about, hey, you should come to church with me next Sunday. I'm not just talking about, maybe that's what it is, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about that you're willing to, to talk to and to converse with, and look eye to eye with, and, and to be in relationship with, to maybe have the opportunity to, to be amazed at what God can do in somebody's life when we're willing to extend the grace that he extends to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time for us to, to share uh, a common table that you have uh, invited us and welcomed us in, that, that all of us have been outsiders, outside of relationship with you because of our sin, outside of the kingdom, and that as followers, as disciples of Jesus, you, uh, you have welcomed in. You have welcomed us in. And it's not, it's not based on us, but it's based on you, and it's based on God. And so help us, to, help us to focus less on ourselves and more on, on how we can communicate who you are to other people. Help us to focus less on what we think other people should have in common with us and less about 
how the other person across from us is so different, and more about who God calls us to be together. God, we thank you for the example that Jesus sets time and time again, how we've been invited in. And God, we ask that you help us to invite in others. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.